Welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth. Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. This, this is, is a Soul Fire, Fire production. production. Well, hello, everybody. Uh, <laughs> and, and welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. Formerly Dr. Stu's podcast, but now it's 50-50 with my pal Bliss, who I just got to spend four lovely days up in the middle of nowhere. And we're hoping that her Wi-Fi holds because there's so many gaps in the Wi-Fi system up there. Uh, but you'll you're with us now. So say hi. Hi, everybody. Um, it's Great to be with you. It was tricky figuring it out <laughs> this morning, but I've committed to uh, Wednesday at 10 a.m. So I'm going to really do my best to um, figure out the best ways to bring you information and connect with you and be really fully present. Yeah, we have a lot to talk about today. Um, not, but let's rehash, uh, let's rehash some pleasant moments uh pleasantries yeah it was really nice being up there uh with you um you know it's very comfortable you, you do you i do me neither one of us has any judgment on that it's how it's how life should be we yeah. should all be we should all be ourselves we should stop trying to conform to what people want us to be yeah yeah so that felt good just being able to freely be yourself and I have to say that I slept better in my tent than I do in my bed. <laughs> oh yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna say how was coming back and being in your bed again. Uh, you know, there's distractions here. There's traffic noise. Um, there's cats. <laughs> um, I have three cats this week. My daughter is in Cancun, coming back today. Um, and so she left her cat with me, who who was with us, my house sitter, Sarah, while the days I was up with you. But I've been home now for two days, and she's out now. She's under the table, but I have rarely seen her. And Sarah said she never saw her. Uh, she would come out to use the litter box and uh, feed feed it, feed herself at night. But she has just been terrified. I think it's traumatic. Yeah. It's really traumatic for a cat to do this sort of thing. So. Um, uh, I think that uh, it'll be good when Maddie comes to pick her up, hopefully later today. And um, what's interesting about my daughter and her boyfriend, they got uh, food poisoning while they were in Cancun. And oh, I thought you were going to say engaged. Food poisoning is totally the opposite. No, 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 no. Yeah. Oh, man, food poisoning, that sucks. They better not get engaged until Garrett talks to me about it, don't you think? Oh, Garrett, I hope you're listening I'm to the podcast. I'm a little old-fashioned when it comes to that sort of you thing. You are old-fashioned. Yeah. Um, but you you suggested activated charcoal. So why don't you tell us just a little bit about activated charcoal? Because I've heard of it, but I've never used it. I didn't. I didn't recommend that. Well, that wasn't you? <laughs> no, this is true. It must have been death. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know a little, I know I've used activated charcoal, but I couldn't, I couldn't give you like a lot of information on the podcast. So I'm going to say that wasn't me. No, it wasn't you, but you know, I'm so used to getting wisdom and advice from you that um, I just, I just 
substituted you <laughs> you into the <laughs> equation. But no, definitely it was Beth. We did a we had a, we did a home visit yesterday, and I got to see Beth and got a Beth hug yesterday. So that was very cool. So um, what did we learn? What did I learn? I learned um, every time I go away for this long these long periods of time it helps me refocus. It's so vital. Uh, but I've learned that I've got to change my model. I can't continue to do what I've been doing. And so I've got some ideas. I spoke with Nathan Riley, our buddy. Um, yeah, I was really curious. And to hear how uh, just, just as a shout out, Nathan's going to be on this week's uh, Against the Wind podcast with Paul Thomas. So those of you who like to listen to Paul, you'll hear Nathan as well. I've not heard it yet. Uh, Nathan had some uh, news, which he said I could share. Uh, Nathan uh, was working for a, a company doing palliative care for people dying uh, in hospice situations. And he got fired last week uh, from his job because he chose to take his mask off so that an old person could actually see his face and see his lips move when he was talking to her. And someone turned him in and there was zero tolerance for that. And so, you know, he probably, just like all of us who, who speak out about our positions, he was already probably on their radar. And so they were probably yeah. looking for a reason, which is what they, which always happens. Yeah. So we had a good talk and, and I reassured him that this is the best thing that would ever happen to him <laughs> was to get out of the corporate world. Yeah. So he's got some great things coming up that he's going to be doing. And uh, I just... Um, yeah, I just think that, that, that this is indicative of our times, what's going on with, with these sorts of things, with, with people getting fired or losing their jobs or whatever else, because they're not following. I got some thoughts on that. We'll get to later. Um, I was at Nathan's very first home birth. Yeah. He came to one with me. Was that the same yeah. one? It must be the same one. Yeah, I was I was there. And I told I I remember sharing with him. We got there a little bit early. She was a multip. Was that and, in Temecula? Uh, was it in Temecula? I think so. Yeah. I yeah. Know who that was. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was the only time I ever did a birth in one of those um, silly uh, kitty pools. And I since then, I've never done one again because I said it's so silly. But anyways, um, yeah, and we got there a little early. And so she wasn't yet like in booming labor. So we all like laid down on the couch and I looked at him and I said, mark my words, at around 3 a.m. things are going to get hot. And it did. It was I, I, when we started hearing her sounds, I was like, what time is it? And he's like, it's three o'clock. I was like, yep. <laughs> So I remember very well being at his very first home birth. I'm kind of proud of that. I love yeah, it. Don't, I don't know that that's the direction he's going to go in, but yeah. he's going to do great things Yeah, um, because he will be freed of the uh, corporate uh, ball and chain. Yes. Right. right. And speaking of that, um, the credibility of our institutions is crumbling um, as, as, as we speak. Um, They've been on the downslide for a long time. We talked, uh, I talked a whole podcast about the AMA. Mm -hmm. And we also have uh, the FDA and the NIH um, coming out against ivermectin and lying to us about a lot of other things. We're gonna be talking today about ivermectin, sort of our big topic of the day in a little bit. But I wanted to say a couple things about the AMA again. The, the AMA came out opposing ivermectin as well. 
Now, if people saw that podcast, they know that the AMA is supposed to speak for a unified voice. <laughs> I keep I keep coming back to the unified voice thing for physicians. And um, there are more than almost 100 papers now peer-reviewed in the world literature on the safety and efficacy of ivermectin for early treatment. And we are now seeing, see, I'm getting into ivermectin now. You know what? I'm going to wait on this because we'll, we'll be talking about this in a second. But the AMA opposing ivermectin is odd to me because many, many doctors have prescribed it, use it, looked at the science and said, why not? Why not? It's safe. It's been around for a really long time, more than 40 years. It won a Nobel prize in 2015. Um, so that sort of thing. And then um, you and I, you know, um, we the, the Texas abortion law Mm-hmm. Which you and I talked about a little bit while we were while we were there about the fact that that six weeks is like nobody knows they're pregnant at six weeks. Yeah, I mean some people do, but it's rare. Yeah, it's rare. But mm-hmm. the AMA taking a position opposing the Texas law is political, not medical. Because if they're supposed to represent their the people that are members of the AMA, there's probably 50-50 just like in the country that support life against abortion and think that this is a good thing. Yeah, but I'm going to I'm going to interject because yeah. I think it's important for uh for my voice on that to be heard is that I am across the board and and for me it's very frustrating to see people you know, have this position about one thing, but not have this position about another thing. I am across the board about body sovereignty, medical freedom, and bodily autonomy. And uh, that applies to this case. And this applies to um, the, sh- the injection. This applies to, um, you know, a birth. So I just, my position is always going to be the same about this. It's, it's uh, you know, I think you and I, where we overlap is that we we don't believe that the government should be um, so involved in many of many things. So you you uh, you know you have opinions different than mine on some of that, but especially when it comes to someone's decisions about their health care or uh, what they do with their body. And I know some people don't think about abortions as health care or as uh, family planning or any of that, but. A woman's body is still involved, and it, and to me, it's still a woman's right to be able to choose. Um, period. No, Not government. I I agree with you one hundred percent on everything yeah. you just said. What yeah. I'm saying is, is the AMA doesn't need to take a position on that, and they yeah. do it anyway. Mm-hmm. All right, because as you said, it's not necessarily a medical decision. Well, I said I said I think some people believe that it's not. A medical decision yeah yeah and, and and it's funny when you bring up the fact because there you know were people on the steps of the texas uh state house protesting the the um the invasion of bodily autonomy for a woman's right to choose while probably all of them are vaccinated and wearing masks <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> which is fine because yeah, but choice. they don't they don't catch the irony they don't catch yeah. the irony well, it's yeah. their choice to be able to do that. Where where I have an issue it's is 
when that becomes something that you're trying to force somebody else to do. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's mandates. Mandates destroy medicine. How many times have we said that on the podcast? Yeah. So speaking of, um, anyway, that was, that's, that's one thing. The, um, UCLA, which is a, a hospital here at University of California, Los Angeles, everybody knows UCLA. Um, funny this morning, I'm opening my mail. Several things happened this morning that just are going to work their way into the podcast today because they're fresh in my mind. But there is an interview with uh, Dr. Yang, Dr. Otto Yang, that's posted as an interview. But it's really propaganda hiding as an interview. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to just highlight some stuff because I, at least half of the things he said are either dead wrong or f- frightening beyond belief. And we weren't told these things from the beginning. So if you'll bear with me for a second, I, will, I, will, I would like to just say this. But and also on the radio, since I've been backless, I've actually been, you know, sometimes in my daughter's car i don't have bluetooth or anything so i I listen to regular radio every 15 minutes there's an ad for um getting vaccinated um and saying things like we now know the shot is safe and effective and therefore you should get vaccinated that sort of thing these public service announcements and i don't know what how they define safe and effective right but let's talk a little bit let's see what he says here so the, the story starts out as, as, again, as a story, supplemental or booster third doses of COVID-19 vac- they say vaccine, we'll call it the injection, may be available soon to all fully injected Americans as studies show decreasing protection from infection as the Delta variant surges. So the first thing that raises in my mind is, is so the injection isn't working well so why are we going to give them a third dose of the same injection? Why don't we wait till we come up with something that works well before right. we a third dose of the same injection? Now they're saying, well, it'll stimulate the antibodies more. They don't know. But we, all we know is that two doses after four to five months is waning significantly. So they're, again, we're going to give a third dose of something that isn't working. This is, this is the mindset. Um, so she, the, the writer of the article asks the theoretical question, which wasn't set up, I'm sure. Uh, was the need for supplemental dose expected? His first statement was, many of us expected it. And my, my comment to that is, really? When were you going to tell us? Right. No one expected it. So he's lying. Mm-hmm. He's well, lying. And if he says many of they- us expected and if they did expect it, that would have been good information for people to know as they were making their decisions. So. Yes. Wait till, you, wait till you see what he expects to happen in the future, too. But the idea that, that, that he says that, that was never even, uh, it was never thought at the beginning. It says you're going to get your two jabs and you're going to be fine. And by the way, that's how other vaccines have worked pretty much always. Next question was, how effective do you expect supplemental shots with the original vaccines to work against Delta? And he says, they should still be effective. It's like, well, they're not effective. So how do you say they'll still be effective? I don't understand what he's talking about. He says, there's also the possibility boosters will improve the quality of the antibodies as well. 
So when you dissect a sentence like that, that's completely made up because you could just, in, you could insert another word and you could say, there's also the possibility that boosters will not improve the quality of antibodies as well. So you're just making a vague statement to promote your position. There's no evidence to what he just said, mm -hmm. but this is being presented as an, art, uh, as an article. Why are they being offered after eight months? He says, there's nothing magic about the eight month, eighth month mark. The decision was based on what's being observed now, which is breakthrough infections. Or that it's not working. Or that it's not working. Well, that's the same you know, thing. I, yeah, I saw this, uh, I saw this this post about um the statistics of uh Israel, I think it was, and Japan when they got to um the goal that they had in terms of vaccinations, um that showed the date and then it showed a spike in both of them. So it's it's not working the way that we expected and or they expected. Um, and uh, you know, again, I have to bring up, you know, we're not we're not giving any credence to natural immunity. You know, we're not taking that into consideration. And um systemically as a culture, that's a big problem. Oh yeah, well, he talks about that in another question. They ask him, what about those people that have recovered from COVID? So we'll- Oh, great. But it's funny that you should mention the Israeli-Japan thing because his next sentence was, the Israeli government has a really great program in place to monitor their population. Their data show that within four or five months, the efficacy of the vaccine drops tremendously in terms of preventing someone from getting infected. Yeah. You know, I wish the questions weren't just set up for him to talk and the reporter actually had some knowledge and wisdom and would interrupt him at that point and say uh, what I'm going to say right now, which yeah. is if after four to five months, the vaccine efficacy drops or the injection efficacy drops tremendously, it doesn't prevent someone from getting infected. What's the freaking point? He says, I think what that means is that people who were vaccinated several months ago are becoming more and more susceptible to getting infected and spreading the virus. For now, it looks like they're still protected from getting seriously ill, All right? I wrote in the margin, I wrote my comment. I wrote, has this ever been so casually said about another, any other so-called vaccine? Right. No, no, it hasn't. He goes on, based on your past research, do you think fully vaccinated people who have previously had COVID need a third dose? So you've been vaccinated and you had COVID. His answer, they probably will need a booster, but they may not need it as soon. Is there anyone who won't need a third dose, such as healthy young adults? Hmm, Good question. What, what do you think his answer will be? Let's see, probably everybody should get a booster. The vaccines are so safe and effective, and the risks of them are so small, there really isn't a downside to getting a booster, especially if someone has already tolerated the first shots. So what about the people that didn't tolerate the first shots? And how can you say that it's safe and effective when in previous paragraphs you just said it's not effective, and you're changing your goalposts, you're moving your goalposts. If effective was supposed to prevent infection and transmission, now it does neither, and you're still calling it effective. because. Maybe there's less hospitalizations with it, which of course in Israel isn't true at all. 
80% of the people being hospitalized in Israel are people that have had two jabs with the Pfizer vaccine. And the risks are so small. You know, we talked about the VAERS dip. How do they say this? How does Dr. Otto Yang look himself in the mirror? And I, I'm telling you that the, the reason they do this is because they, they have this, they live in a bubble. And I can't believe they're, they're all useful idiots or they're all evil geniuses. So what's Dr. Yang's bubble? Do you think Dr. Yang watches the high wire with Del Bigtree or, 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 or reads Alec Berenson or, or looks at any of the other data, watch this vaccine um, uh, documentary that was on recently, this nine part series by Jonathan Otto? I think he ever watches any of that stuff? And the answer would be, he can't possibly do that and then say the things that he's saying. He says, what's going on with supplemental doses for people who got the single dose J&J &J vaccine or injection? He says, my guess is that people with the J&J &J should get boosters and the FDA will eventually reach that conclusion. My comment is, of course they will. <laughs> of course they're gonna make you get one, want you to get uh, boosters. Do you think we will need COVID-19 shot every year like with the flu shot? My guess would it be, it's probably going to be an annual vaccination. Oh yeah, we knew we saw that coming. I know that. But he, <laughs> says it, he says it was such casual. Yeah. Oh sure, it's fine. It's fine. Tell the people that are having antibody dependent enhancement. Tell the people that have died after getting the vaccine or their family members. Can't really tell the people that have died. <laughs> they're not here anymore. But um, yeah, they just talk about this stuff, and they're they're censoring so much information that that. People don't get the other information unless they seek it out. Anyway, that's why I'm saying the credibility of all these institutions is collapsing. I used to think of these universities as places of wisdom and education. They're not anymore. The FDA and the new, and the new revelations about the Fauci uh, emails and stuff about uh, him knowing that this was, they were doing uh, gain of function research and lying to Congress. By the time this podcast comes out, it'll be another week, we'll see if anything has changed with our pal, Dr. Fauci. Um, do you have anything on your mind before I go on to like follow up from the uh, medical kidnapping story? I have a sort of another one I just wanna. No, let's, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, I know that you don't have any time to do sort of any sort of research or prep because you don't have any reception most of the time, so. It's difficult. Yeah. Right. So um, this is a, uh, a woman who wrote to me. I won't mention any names yet, but we're going to, Liz and I are going to do more investigating into this one and possibly have a special guest on in the, in the coming weeks uh, yeah. who is an expert in dealing with these sorts of civil rights, human rights issues. So, um, but this woman writes, I was wondering if you could help share our story. And this was after she'd heard our podcast on medical kidnapping. Our twin girls were born at a hospital via C-section because they were both breech. A wet towel was used to get traction of the babies and side-to-side -side rotation was applied um, after the feet were out. Our children were taken by Child Protective Services because a bone scan revealed multiple old healing injuries. This was about six months of age. So six months of age, the babies went in for something they did an x-ray or a bone scan for something and they found multiple old fractures. 
all right, uh, that they had no explanation for since even the hospital where we gave birth missed these fractures. Thankfully though, they had taken imaging of our babies two days after birth, which showed over 10 fractures, including fractures of the vertebrae and other bones and never gave this birth imaging to the medical expert on the case to review. My commentary is they never told the parents either. Yeah, I'm just shaking my head, which you can't see on the podcast. But yeah, this um, is a local Southern California hospital. Just and shocking. Shocking that because she sent me the X-ray, mm-hmm. and I'm not. I can't read X-rays, but there's arrows pointing to a whole bunch of different spots, which I'm assuming are abnormalities on a, the X-ray of a two-day-old baby. And six months later, they find evidence of old fractures, and so the CPS thinks that the Initially, they blame the family immediately. They take the babies away because they had no idea that this had gone on because they were never told. Right. Never told us or, or um, Child Protective Services expert had missed it. We had to find these fractures on our own. They were born on September 1st of, 19, of 2020 and the fractures were only discovered six months later when my daughter was in for a plural, taking an x-ray for a plural effusion. Child Protective Services, which she calls DCFS. Yeah. Department of Child and Family Services. That's what it is. D is Department Family. Child and Family Services. Mm-hmm. Okay. Immediately charged us with child abuse and our girls are currently in foster care. Crazy. Honestly, what's holding up the process is that their medical expert is taking this sweet time, their sweet time, I don't know if it's a male or female, interpreting the imaging. I've even tried looking for a doctor who can read x-rays that will at least confirm how many fractures they see at birth. And she asked me if I know anybody and anything like that. So we hooked her up with somebody. Yeah. So um, we hooked up with somebody who hooked up with somebody local. And hopefully that's going to get this resolved as quickly as possible. But there's criminal, there's, there's not just malpractice here, there's criminal negligence. How do you not tell a family that you took an x-ray and you have all these fractures when they're two days old and you don't tell them, right? And, you know, when you, you were here, we were talking about it and you said, I've said it so many times that even in a C-section, you need to know how to deliver a breech baby, you know? Um, yeah. The, the fact that we deem, you know, um, Western medicine and the medical institution as the one who does no harm, you know, like I, if it, that those twins were born with a midwife, it would be a hands-off delivery. We wouldn't, you know, so the, the, or even if they had to have a C-section for a, a obstetrical reason, you know, using a towel on the baby is a standard practice, mm-hmm. but it sounds like they, you know, clearly they were, they were describing a twisting and turning of the baby dramatically. Now they probably remember that, or maybe they even have video of it. You know, the dad probably might've not in a C-section. What's that? Probably not in a C-section, it's maybe, rare. But they have recollections. I mean, the dad would have recollections of standing up and watching his babies being born. So um, yeah. So we'll, we'll follow up with that one too, uh, especially when we get a chance to talk to our future guests. Yeah, and the thing to know is that, you know, these are just a few cases, but there are many. 
there are many, many, many of these kinds of things happening. So I'm yeah, glad they, that we're they get mixed in. They get mixed in with ones where it's really necessary. Mm -hmm. But the default position is guilty. Now take a year and a half to prove your innocence while your kids grow up with somebody else. Right. Right. Tragic. All right. A tragic, you know, tragic to me isn't even a strong enough word. It's uh it's evil. It's evil. There's a lot of evil going on. And by the way, I'm, I'm gonna at the end today, I, I have this, I listened to this guy speak and I I took notes. It's hard taking notes while you're driving. <laughs> on the interstate <laughs> but i was taking notes as i was driving home because i had time to listen to a lot of podcasts and of course about six hours of outlander as well so that's pretty good so i have one letter and i'd like to read the letter real quickly because it's about twins um good morning dr Stu. we're currently seeing a doctor in beverly hills for our first twin pregnancy we are at 20 weeks and we were just told that a c-section a scheduled C-section would be the best as baby B will most likely be breached. Yep. Comment? 20 weeks. <laughs> well, they don't have the skills. Maybe find another provider. Why would you even tell somebody that at 20 weeks? Because they don't have the skills. So you got to prepare them that, that you're going to have to have a C-section. So you make stuff up. Because you won't know the position. Is that what you're saying? 20 weeks. You Whatever get. the baby's position is at 20 weeks means nothing. Zero. Right, right. Gotcha. Follow you. Right. Yeah. So why would you tell her then? Why would you plant that? Why do you do that? Uh, you know, a rhetorical question. Don't, don't, don't answer, Bliss. <laughs> don't expect an answer. He says, that does not align with my birth plan. No shit. I would like the opportunity to deliver vaginally. Good for you. Yeah. Pregnancy would be home delivery, but our medical insurance does not cover home births. Our pregnancy scans and labs have all been normal and on track at a very healthy pregnancy. We are looking for a new OB for labor and delivery in our area, trying to follow our intuition. Where are they from? Beverly Hills. Uh -huh. well, SoCal. I mean, I don't know. Mm -hmm. By the way, I saw your post. Is it NoCal or NorCal? Nor. I didn't know that. I didn't either. I, I stand corrected. NorCal. Yeah. We, we like do so pal. We like to be accurate on the Birthing Instincts podcast. So <laughs> let's be accurate. So it's not no cal. It's like SoCal. It's NorCal. NorCal. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay. So I responded to uh, Claudia and I said, congratulations on the exciting news and thanks for reaching out. I support the vaginal birth of term twins in the home or birth center setting, but not in the hospital. The skill and confidence of delivering a second twin breach should be a routine part of obstetric practice. Even a first twin breach is reasonable and supported in the literature. Sadly, very few OBs still support these options. It is odd that you are being told at 20 weeks that baby B will remain breach. Sounds like you are picking up on your doctor's reluctance to support your desire. If you are looking towards a hospital birth, there are a couple options. And I mentioned Barry Brock at Cedars and possibly Dr. Chavira at Good Samaritan if he gets his privileges by then there. I've been assisting with twins in the home setting now uh, for 11 years after 28 previously in the hospital, assuming your twins do not develop twin-twin transfusion syndrome because they were monodi twins, I think. I'm not sure where I got that from. Oh, identical. she said they were identical twins, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
and make it determine any of these options are within your grasp. Identical twins, also known as monodi twins, they're at risk for twin-twin transfusion syndrome, usually developing between 16 to 26 weeks. Doctors who aren't familiar with twins are often projecting fear, which is not helpful to anyone. If you would like to find out more about the home option, I can put you in touch with other parents who went through the same situation. We can also schedule a consult in my office. If you wish to know more about this choice, let me know, hope this helps. And who cares if your insurance doesn't pay for it? I knew you'd pick up on that. You will but not regret. Explain that. Explain that again, because people tune into our podcast intermittently. They've not heard your marvelous wedding analogy. So just explain it a little bit. Well, I mean, we used to do this thing at the sanctuary where we would talk about, you know, um, all of the benefits of doing, you know, we talk about birth options and, for me, it was an important part to talk about this question of, of why bother doing what your insurance says. It's, you know, you pay so much money, it's hard because you really want them to support your decision. But the analogy is, if you had wedding insurance and you paid into it every year and then it was time for you to get married and they told you what you could wear, they told you who you could invite, they they had crappy food. It was at a location that was not at all conducive for a beautiful event. You would say no. You would say no. And people spend so much money on their weddings. They put it on credit cards. They borrow money. They do all kinds of things because they see it as an important life event that they'll remember forever. The birth of your baby is absolutely no different than that. So why are we letting insurance companies decide for us something that you know, her intuition is already telling her that home birth, vaginal birth feels like the right thing for her, but yet she's allowing the insurance companies to make that decision. Now, of course, for babies are not appropriately, you know, able to be selected for a home birth at the time of term, then that's a completely different situation. But going into it, um, you know, even just in the care is going to be so much different. So, don't don't let don't let anybody decide for you what you should be doing with these magical special moments of your life. This is for you to decide. And if if you want to, you'll figure out a way to make it work. And you were saying uh, when we were together, you know, you're not you're not going to remember that years from now. And I agree. I don't remember the cost of of delivering my baby thirty years ago. I just remember the experience. So. Yeah, it's a very That's important thing to, to think about. People think about laying out, you know, $7,000, $10,000, $15,000 for something that their insurance could cover and they have a deductible or whatever else. And so that's money and they don't have it right now. But, you know, as you said, 30 years, two years, three years, four years down the road, the fact that you spent that money isn't going to matter anymore. But the memory yeah. will give you always. And, yeah. uh, right. So yeah. we have to change it because people are indoctrinated to, in, into a system. Gets back to one of my favorite Thomas Paine quotes about the long habit of not thinking something wrong gives it the appearance of being right. So right. immediately we defer to our, uh, whatever card we have in our wallet that tells us where we can go and what we can do. And we need to stop that. We need to start being ourselves and stop conforming. There's a sea change going on in the world right now. And it, there's a battle, a really big battle. And only one side has been fighting up until this point, but there's another side that's rising up now and beginning to fight and push back because you can only push people in certain countries that are free like ours was 
um, so far. I've just been amazed at what they what what they've been able to do to people like who live in Australia or New Zealand and these other places where they're completely totalitarian lockdown that you could take away their their freedom so much. And I have an explanation for that. Again, I'm, I'm prefacing so people will stay tuned because at the end of the podcast is really wise words of wisdom that I listen to on my drive home, by the way, from the Redwoods, which was just magical. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about ivermectin. Okay. All right, you brought it up, but before you bring it up, I just have to tell you that as you were logging in, I got a call from my student, Emma, who has, has a prescription for ivermectin that she didn't fill yet. She went to a pharmacy that last week was filling it, a local, a, a small chain, not the big CVS that they haven't filling it, and now they won't fill it either. Mm-hmm. Right. So we're going to talk about why that is, and we're going to talk about how, in, my, in, in any sense of the word, this is, this, is, this is evil, what they're doing. And the big corporations are going along with this so easily, just like Dr. Yang was so just casually saying, oh, yeah, we knew this was going to happen. You're going to need a third shot probably every year, forever, blah, 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 as if, as if it's nothing that there's, there's, there's this brainwashing that's going on that is absolutely, is absolutely um, inexplicable until you think like this person, which I will mention later on, thinks. Um, okay, so. Well, the reason that I asked you to talk about this a little bit more is because I did have a conversation with a family member and I just stopped talking at a certain point because there's this common um, dialogue that's happening about it being horse medicine. And then I saw a post from a midwife who was like, okay, let's talk about this. It's actually on the World Health Organization as one of the top, I think 10 um, most important medicines that we have. Um, and so I just thought it was important to like, you know, debunk some of that and talk about like, we do use medicine, like medicine, but human medicine on animals all the time. You know, we use, met, you use metformin for your horses. You know, I've, I've been prescribed things for my dog that are, are, um, uh, for her anxiety and stuff that are, that are intended for animal, for humans. So just because something is used on an animal doesn't necessarily mean that it's horse medicine. And I just thought that that was an important thing to distinguish. Yeah. I've got some information on that too. By the way, this, this medicine won the Nobel prize from in medicine in 2015 for its, yeah. for its work in helping in some of the third world countries getting of eliminates and parasites. It's been uh, around for over 40 years, it has been almost 100 peer-reviewed papers um, supporting its use for the prevention and treatment of early COVID. And yet, it's still doing this. And Rolling Stone magazine, which has never, I don't think before, been mentioned on the Birthing Instincts podcast, <laughs> um, had an article last week uh, there was a story in it. It was written as a news story that that somewhere in Oklahoma, a hospital was so busy treating people who overdosed on horse paste 
that the people couldn't get into the ER with gunshot wounds. All right. Now, this sounds like something that somebody who lives in uh, Martha's Vineyard or Manhattan would come up about the hokey people that live in Oklahoma, because if they said the same thing about something going on in New Jersey about people with gunshot wounds not being able to get to the ER, no one would really believe that we're eating horse paste. All right. Turns out that the whole story was fake and not was the whole story was fake, but they actually showed a picture in there in, in, in the article, the original article, which I don't think you can find out because they've, they've not retracted it. They've, they didn't even print it as a correction. They printed it as an update. But the original picture in the article showed people standing in line, making it seem like they were standing in line to get into the ER. But the people are all wearing winter coats and jackets and hats. And the picture was from last January of people standing in line to get the vaccine, to get the COVID injection. Mm -hmm. They used it as a picture of people standing in August in line in Oklahoma wearing winter gear in Oklahoma in August. And they don't even care that it's fake or false. Maybe it's because, you know, these are the same people that, uh, that published the, um, the, uh, the, the, the Duke lacrosse article, which was a fake article about team people raping somebody, that sort of thing. And they've been known for publishing some really stupid articles and maybe they're irrelevant now and maybe they thought this will make them relevant. But what's really sick about the whole thing because the whole thing was made up because the hospital issued a statement saying, no, we haven't treated a single person with ivermectin paste. No, we don't have lines waiting to get into our ER. No, uh, everything that they said was false because they identified the hospital where this was supposedly taking place. Oh, and the doctor who was supposedly gave the story to Rolling Stone was a contracted physician who hadn't worked at the hospital in more than two months. So it was, they didn't do any fact checking. No one from Rolling Stone, what did they call the hospital beforehand and say, by the way, we're hearing this, what do you think? No, they just printed the story. But what's amazing about the story is that mainstream media, Joy Reid on MSNBC, Rachel Maddow on, uh, whatever channel she's on, MSNBC, they all ran with the story. They tweeted the story and how terrible this ivermectin is and how dangerous it is. And people are so stupid and they're taking, you know, horse medicine and they're just smearing this medication, which has saved thousands, if not uh, hundreds of thousands of lives around the world. And again, with peer reviewed studies that show that if used properly, it does help prevent hospitalization. It does help prevent serious progression of the disease. Um, just today, um, I got a uh, email from an article that was in the American Journal of Therapeutics, uh, July, August edition, which is current, their current edition. And it's called Ivermectin for Prevention and Treatment of COVID-19 Infection, a Systemic Review, Meta-Analysis and Trial Sequential Analysis to Inform Clinical Guidelines. And just briefly, it's a repurposed medicines may have roles against SARS-CoV-2 virus. The antiparasitic ivermectin with antiviral and anti-inflammatory properties has now been tested in numerous clinical trials. By the way, there's Dr. Vladimir Zelenko who came up with this hydroxychloroquine, uh, something called the Zelenko protocol, which many world leaders have used. Um, it's ivermectin, zinc, uh, azithromycin, that initial thing that came out, maybe you've heard about it. Um, he, he you mean is, hydrochloroquine. 
Yeah, he basically says that the mechanism of ivermectin or the mechanism of hydroxychloroquine is to help zinc get into the cells. It's the zinc that immobilizes or, or prevents the virus from replicating. And this helps to transmit, the, the, that's, how, that's how he thinks it works. Anyway, I don't know how he thinks it works, but it clearly, um, so what they did was they did a meta-analysis were conducted in, and certainty of evidence was assessed using a certain, a, a certain approach, which is a, tr a scientific approach. 24 randomized controlled trials involving 3,406 participants met review inclusion. Um, Meta-analysis of 15 trials found that ivermectin reduced risk of death compared with no ivermectin, uh, average risk ratio 0.38. So it's like a 60, per I, I think if I interpret that right, it's like a 62% induction, but a reduction, but I'm not exactly sure, but it's significant with almost no side effects. Um, they conclude that moderate certainty evidence finds that large reductions in COVID-19 deaths are possible using ivermectin. Using ivermectin early in the clinical course may reduce numbers progressing to severe disease. The apparent safety and low cost suggest that ivermectin is likely to have a significant impact on the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic globally. All right. And this was recently that this okay. statement came, the study came out? This was, uh, I got this, I got this actually from the show notes from Del Brigtree's The High Wire from the last week's episode. So this, this article came out, um, it was in the July, August issue. So it probably came out early August. So it's less than a month old. Okay. So I'm just saying that the, the, they looked at article after article, and I know that there's up to almost nearly a hundred peer reviewed articles that support the use of ivermectin. And yet they're bad-mouthing ivermectin. The press is picking up on horse pace stories in ERs in Oklahoma and not how it's saving lives, not reporting on, on stories where they, it shows that it works, not interviewing Dr. Zelenko on MSNBC. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, yeah I think the most, the, the, the thing that I want to kind of highlight is the repurposing. So in the early days of, um, this pandemic um, and the virus, you know, really taking hold. So these doctors were looking for solutions before a vaccine came out in the early days, they were using drugs that were already available um, and thousands of patients that they've treated and have had no hospitalizations. So why is that information not being listened to? Why are pharmacies being told that doctors can't prescribe? Since when does that happen? Um, if someone wants to take a vaccine, just like cancer, if someone wants to do chemotherapy, if that's what how they wanna treat their cancer, they have the right to do that. They also have the right to decide to turn that down and, and treat it alternatively. Um, and so why in this situation, um, something that doctors who, are, who have the statistics of actually treating patients, why is this being banned or blocked or denied? And um, it's inexpensive. That might yeah, it's, it's, like, it's, like that, penny, it's like pennies a pill. Yeah, I mean, you know, so when you're thinking critically about this stuff, I just think it's important to ask these questions um, and for and to have the information and to know that um, 
you know, there, there are more perspectives about this than what you, like how you're talking about it, the, what the media is putting in front of you. So I'm just encouraging people to continue to think critically about, um, you know, what they put in their body and the decisions that they make for themselves and their family. Well, I'm a logical thinker and I analyze data pretty well. I've done it all my career. That's why I sort of could never follow a certain path. And I will tell you that we've talked about this, you and I, this is not about health. This is about control. And there's a couple of things going on here. It, it, there's, I, 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 I'm gonna talk about, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read the thing that I wanted to read for a second, but you can't, it's all about the vaccine and the masking and the, and the, and the isolation and the, and the separation and the demoralization to be able to take over and change the world the way you want to change the world. And you can't have a vaccine that is not approved or is only approved for emergency youth authorization if you don't have an emergency, right? So if we had therapeutics that were allowed to be used, then there would be no emergency and they couldn't be continuing to promote the vaccine. So they have to badmouth these things, which again gets back to my initial statement about the uh, crumbling of institutions, because here's the CDC with its ivermectin re uh, uh, recommendations, which is why pharmacies are no longer allowing doctors to prescribe it for people who don't have parasites or hydroxychloroquine for people who don't have lupus or arthritis. You can't prescribe these things for them anymore. So they say this, um, Ivermectin dispensing by retail pharmacies has increased rapidly during the COVID-19 pandemic. And the source of this, by the way, is my Hippocrates app, which is uh, an app that uh, you can look up any drug, you can look it up, um, uh, the dosage, the side effects, the pregnancy, breastfeeding, you can just look it up, you click on it. And then they put out stories all the time. Sometimes they're just interesting stories about diagnose this rash or something. But this one was about, the, they put it out about COVID has increased rapidly during the COVID pandemic, as has use of veterinary formulations available over the counter, but not intended for human use. I don't even know that that's true. I think that they say these things because they want them to, they want to mislead you. How many people are actually going to their vet, taking their ivermectin from their vet, the paste that you put in the horse's mouth and then mm -hmm. eating it? How many people are actually doing that? That the CDC has to address it? Really? Really? Don't think so. Adverse effects associated with ivermectin misuse um, and OD, uh, OD, overdose, OD, I don't know what OD stands for, are also increasing evidence by rise in calls to poison control centers. Where's the data? Where's the reference? Let's see. I don't believe anything you say. Um, Rachel. People are pretty, people are pretty stupid. So I, I, I'm not going to say that that hasn't happened. Um, and I will say, remember back a few years ago, there was one case of a woman taking her placenta that, um, that they found out she had G, late, the baby had late onset GBS. And so they made, they came out with a statement that yeah. recommended that they, that no one should do it. That was one case. 
I know. So it doesn't have to be that many stupid people for for uh, you know them to step in and say that this shouldn't be happening. Yeah, but, but they're, using, they're, yeah. they're using the term a rise in calls to, to poison control centers. You know, on the Birthing Instincts podcast, what we feel about statements like that. Rising calls go mean it could have gone from two to four. Right, right. Doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Give examples. And you're not, Give you're not personally, you're not personally having experience with that in your own practice when you've been uh, prescribing it for people. You haven't had people have side effects. So no, no, and and, and and ninety-nine percent of physicians who prescribe it haven't. Right. The side effect rate uh, portfolio are minor and they're less than one percent of people who take it. Right. But the FDA hasn't authorized or approved ivermectin for COVID-19 prevention or treatment. Okay. So that's an interesting statement for the CDC to make because the FDA hasn't approved the, um, the injection either. It's emergency youth authorization. Didn't they just, didn't one and of them just- I'm talking about up until now. And then and the approval is the rubber stamp and it's a different injection. It's, it's called Comerity or something like that. It's going to be uh, it's not the current formula that you're getting right now that they want to give you a third dose of. But I, you know, I think about this all the time and I think about, hmm, I don't think they approve Cytotec for cervical ripening and I don't think they approve Pitocin for labor. I think those are off-label medications. Tributylene for preterm labor is not, it's, I don't think is um, FDA approved. It's not an FDA approved uh, uh, use of it, but it's, we use it all the time. Mm -hmm. So here we yep. have the idea that we have um, an agenda. So let's selectively decide what we're going to state and what we're not going to state. And again, they put this out there and then pharmacists sort of stuck going with this. Um, clinical you, had a, you, had a, Go ahead. you had a long talk with a pharmacist while we were together. Yeah. Yeah. And she was talking about some of her own personal experiences. She had to call you and ask you questions about it, right? Yeah, I, I garbled the instruction. I garbled the instruction. So she called me to clarify. And she uh -huh. filled it. But now, um, just this morning, I, like I said, uh, somebody called and said that the pharmacy is the same pharmacy that filled this one three days ago is not filling this one now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they're getting pressure from either their corporate headquarters or from the CDC that they're going to be fined or they're going to be disciplined in some way. Why would they do that? This is a doctor-patient decision. If they don't trust doctors to give advice, then get rid of doctors altogether and just have algorithms to control all medicine and stop it. And, and you know, if you put it into a computer and out comes this, this decision, but when you, we talk about risks and we sit face to face with somebody and we talk about risks and benefits and they're telling us that they're going to override that. So essentially the CDC is practicing medicine without a license. The pharmac pharmacies are practicing medicine without, well, they're not practicing medicine. They're, I mean, sometimes they're, they're belligerent about it. I've had some pharmacists get testy with me. And so, you know, me, <laughs> don't, don't sit well. <laughs> so, so they come out. They come out, and they basically say that that this is not something that you should prescribe, and that's Hippocrates saying that. You know, I just, I just, um, I, I, I don't know what to say. So let me get, let me, let me say this about. Let me read this summary from 
Again, Vladimir Zelenko is a physician in, I think he's in New Jersey. He came up with the Zelenko protocol with hydroxychloroquine. He's treated over 6,000, maybe 7,000 patients by now. He's had unbelievably good results with really no downsides and no deaths in his treatment. Um, he, when, when Trump had it, he treated Trump. He's treated a lot of people in Congress. He's treated, uh, I think he treated Boris Johnson. I think he's treated people in Europe with his protocol. They've all taken it. Um, so he said, he was asked a question on an interview by uh, Del Victory. And he said, um, you know, why is it that these, that it's been so, these things are so vilified? And he says that this, you know, he has a way of explaining the inexplicable. And he says, what they've done to us is, is in psychological warfare, it's been done over the centuries. You know, it was done in Nazi Germany. It was done in, in, to get people to, to toe the line. And what you do is you have prolonged episodes of fear and anxiety. Yeah. Compiled with isolation, which lead to feelings of psychological desperation. Yeah. You feel lonely. You feel desperate. You feel uh, trapped. You, 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 you want out. You want a solution. And yeah. you become incapable of rational thought at that point. You'll take basically, it's a global, he called it a global psychosis. So they've, they've successfully used COVID, which really probably isn't as bad as people think it is. Yes, people have died from it. People will still to, are still going to die from it, but that's true of every virus. But they've inflated the numbers of cases with this PCR testing, this crappy false positive testing. They've certainly inflated the number of deaths with people dying of, uh, not from COVID, but dying with COVID. You know, they, they have a heart attack and then they die and then they test positive for COVID. And so they call it a COVID death. And they're incentivizing COVID deaths because they're paying more to hospitals and doctors who use COVID as a diagnosis. You get 20% more reimbursement from Medicare or uh, any, you know, the government insurance. So all hospitals are trying to promote things. That's why people who, are killed in a motorcycle accident, they're listed as a COVID death, all right? So they're not capable of rational thought. So those under these circumstances will, and that's like 80 to 90% of people, there's always 10 or 20% that figure it out, but 80% or more will gravitate towards any false promise that reduces their fear and emotional pain. Yeah. But just stay home, get this vaccine, mm -hmm. wear your mask, listen to us, you're going to be fine. And people say, somebody's taking the lead. Somebody's going to save me. 80% of people feel that way. Okay. I don't think you and I are in that 80%. Okay. And then this is really important. When challenged by somebody like you or me, they become belligerent. They get outraged because it opens the wound and the fear that they want to suppress because you're pointing out to them that there's other ways to do things, or you're pointing out to them that what they've done might be leading to harm later on, or you're pointing out to them that these people have another agenda and it's not about health and they don't want to hear it. And so they become belligerent. And so they ostracize you. They, 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 they raise their voice. They, they get, they get mad. They do not want to debate you. They want to yell at you. Or cut you off. Or cut you off. And, and I don't mean just cut you off in conversation. I mean, 
cut you out, cut you out of their life, cut you, you know, stop, stop communication, stop connection because they, you know, there is not a lot of open dialogue on both sides, unfortunately. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's worked perfectly. Yeah. Right? And I have to say, I, I could see it coming, but when we first got locked in, I was like, oh boy, <laughs> this is, it's all about fear. And when you use fear to motivate people, it is a huge motivator. And, and we, you know, I keep coming back to the parallels between this and what I have studied and lived in birth for 30 years. I have seen studies I have seen conversations. I have seen propaganda. I have seen ignoring evidence. I have seen all of that. And I know firsthand that what the majority thinks about birth is, is not accurate, is damaging. So why, why am I going to all of a sudden not be able to, to take that same mindset that I've been able to study for so long into this, into this case study of something else? And I don't want to downplay the seriousness of COVID and the pain of people losing their family members to COVID. L loss and death and, and hospitalization and all of that is, is, is very important to all of us, you know, and people die in lots of different ways, car accidents, suicide, you know, murder, there's lots of things happening out there and they're all painful. And I think that um, that's something that I want to make sure that I say is that I do believe that their numbers have been inflated. I do believe that the alternatives are being suppressed. I do believe that, um, you know, there are a lot of people like children wearing masks that's unnecessary. And I do believe that this vaccine is not really doing, or injection is not really doing what I think people are hoping. If oh, they're still carrying COVID and passing COVID and they're afraid of me and they have a vaccine, there's something, there's something off about that. There's so a, there's yeah. a lot of people that think like you and I, Bliss, who have looked at yeah. this vaccine and they say, not only is it not doing what you think it's, what they've built it out to be doing, but the harm that's gonna happen to your immune system over the next decade or two is going to be we'll know, just have to see huge. yeah and they yeah. will they will have cognitive dissonance on that too they'll yeah. blame it on the unvaccinated they'll blame it on uh mutations they'll blame it on you know whatever you know there are again i don't i don't some things are getting a little bit far out but there are wise people who said that the Delta variant isn't a variant at all. It's just they released another another virus. Yeah. Well, we, you know, the thing is, is when when this all started happening and the vaccine was coming around the bend, you know, a lot of people like you and I said, you know, we're going to wait. We're going to wait and see how this goes. And now we're seeing how it goes. Um, and so I think that 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 was a you know, a reasonable choice on our part to be able to say that. Yeah, um, using yeah. safety, using safety as a canard or a salve is never good. All right. You, you know, we talked about Mike Rose safety third, and we talked about, you know, uh, living in fear is not living at all. And if you live in fear and isolation, you're already dead. So right. <laughs> people need to, uh, 
at some point we have to break this psychological warfare thing that's going on and people have become uh, essentially drones and whether or not this vaccine is going to injure you in some way um, and maybe it's designed to do that so you'll be more dependent on the next vaccine or more dependent on more pharmaceuticals you know i don't i i don't know i just know that the the system they designed is both evil and genius, all right? Yeah, yeah. So, because it's working, it's yeah. working. And you're seeing people rise up. I mean, this past weekend, the Labor Day weekend, you know, college football was back, 50, 60,000 people in a stadium. I don't know whether they had to be vaccinated or not vaccinated to get in, but, but um, they're all screaming and yelling and not wearing masks. And it doesn't matter whether you're vaccinated or not vaccinated anymore because both people are getting infected and both people are shedding the virus at the same rate. So the idea, the whole idea of a vaccine passport is another canard. It's another fake thing. It's, and if you don't think that that's going to lead to universal um, you know, tracking and IDs and facial recognition and all that stuff, that's coming. Social scoring your ability to you know, spend money. We talked about that on a previous podcast where you can spend your money, tracking everything that you do. You're, you're, you're a fool. You're a fool. This is all coming. And we need to do what we can. Maybe there'll be two, maybe, maybe some people and maybe some parts of our country will survive and, um, and be able to manage life as it is where they're out doing things on Labor Day weekend and not hovering around hiding in their in in their um in their dens or in their homes or behind their masks not listening to the, the crazy people like Fauci and Walensky or Jen Psaki or anybody else who's telling you by the way I don't know if this is a, uh, I don't know if this is an error or not but I saw something on Instagram this morning where Jen Psaki is speaking and she actually says the word pandemic rather than pandemic when she's talking about the pandemic and they blow it up. Now, I don't know if that's a slip of the tongue. I don't know if it's been edited, but it's, uh, you know, they know something and they, and they, all the things that I said that Zelensky, uh, that Zelenko said about um, psychologically manipulating people and, and that response keeps them from being rational. Yeah. Um, or listening to alternatives. Why, why the mainstream media has to come up with a horse pace story in Oklahoma and, and then they run with it. All it would have to do, uh, a, a Joy Reid on, on MSNBC, all she would have had to do was pick up the phone and call the hospital. But they don't. One person says it, next person repeats it. Uh, I know you and I, like you just said earlier, we're more cautious. We're going to wait and see what happens. I remember when, I, when somebody asked me that question, and I, I reached out to you. And I said, how do I respond to her? And you gave me that answer. You said, listen, I'm not prepared yet to do this. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm the information. I don't have enough information to make the decision right now. I'm going to just take care of myself and I'm going to wait. That was that, that that's reasonable, but it's not reasonable to a lot of people. Freedom of choice. That's what it comes down to. And you know what it also explains is Zelenko's pr uh, proposal explains, you know, how we have the trolling uh, twin people that, Every time I, I talk about twins, they, they go off the deep end and attack, attack me. Um, they're living in their own world, world of locked in with fear and isolation because of their loss or their, their situation. 
And when I bring out evidence that suggests otherwise, it's they, they, they can't handle it. And so they have to attack as opposed to just listen to it. I'm not gonna get into it today because we don't have time. No, we don't. No, but there's an article um, and I'll get into it next week, but there's an article that just came out in this month's Green Journal, which compared the mode of delivery of monochorionic compared with dichorionic twin pregnancies. And I'll just summarize briefly and say that they found no difference in the delivery for monochorionic pregnancies, um, delivering vaginally versus dichorionic pregnancies, despite the fervent certainty of these people who don't like when I post, post about twins. And remember we said last week that it's not the skeptical people you need to worry about, it's the people that, have, that are certain. It's your certainty that, that's, that scares the crap out of, that should scare the crap out of all of us. It's a very uncertain time, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I love that. You always put things into a love more tour perspective, and it's really good to have that. That's why I think people like listening to us again. Uh, um, I, I tend to fly off the cuff a little bit more. You tend to bring people, you know, you're more well-grounded. It's a great, it's great. And it's always, it was great spending time with you. I did. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing more about your adventures, watching your posts. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll talk a little bit, uh, you and I, this week. Uh, we've got some other projects we're working on, so we'll get to that. But I wanted to uh, just thank everybody for listening. Uh, we know, again, that you have so many options for listening to podcasts. Uh, I get more and more every week. There's something, somebody's sending me a new one to listen to. Um, I'm subscribing to them. Uh, I can't listen to all of them, but the fact that you listen to ours all the way to the end, so you can hear my little speech, makes us uh, very proud and happy because we really think the world, the world has the potential to be a great place again. We don't need to live in fear because when you do, like I said, you live in fear and isolation, you're not living. So get out, get outside. All right. Anything else? <laughs> nope. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Birthing Instincts podcast. We know that we all lead busy lives, so we are extremely grateful that you give us an hour of your time each week. If you enjoyed this episode, please share. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for the latest updates and reviews. To help others join us, you can find Dr. Stu at Birthing Instincts and Bliss at Birthing Bliss Midwifery on Instagram. 